When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to this week's episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. This week we are joined by my LA Clipper teammate, Blake Griffin. Yahoo Sports presents the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. Powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your host, JJ Reddick. Welcome to this week's episode of the Vertical Podcast. We're going to be joined by Blake Griffin in just a second. Blake uh, is one of my favorite teammates ever. He's somebody that I have a lot of respect for. He is an incredibly hard worker. I love the way he approaches the game. I know he's somebody from long conversations we've had that wants to win and wants to be great, and he certainly puts in the work to make those things happen. He's also someone that I have a lot of pleasure being around because He's a funny guy, and we're going to talk a little bit about his life in the in the world of comedy, both in production and stand-up and his relationships in that world. Uh, he's got a pretty fun four-on-four at the end of the show, so stick around for that. Uh, the one thing that I would like to announce is the birth of my second son, Kai John Reddick. Uh, my wife gave birth to him on Wednesday, August 24th. Mom and baby are healthy, and we are just so thrilled, not only for the, the new addition to our family, but that my son Knox has a little brother, and I can't wait to have the privilege of raising these two boys and, um, and seeing them grow up. All right, without further ado, let's get to Blake Griffin. I call a lot of guests special guests, but I'm going to call you a special guest as well. This week, we have my teammate with the Clippers, Blake Griffin. Blake, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate the special title, too. <laughs> no problem. This is, a, I believe, our 32nd, 33rd, 34th episode, somewhere around there, early 30s. So this is a bit of a, a delayed guest appearance for you. You are actually supposed to be the very first guest on the Vertical Podcast mm. with J.J. Reddick. And then our team took a road trip, and we happened to stop in Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> so this got delayed, but we're doing it now, and it's great. Yeah, I really didn't want to do that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. The timing wasn't great. The timing wasn't great. I want to talk a little bit about your summer. You, you've done some fun stuff this summer, mm-hmm. um, besides uh, you know rehabbing from injuries and, and training, obviously. But uh, one of the things you did a couple weeks ago was you, you went up to Montreal yes. and there was a comedy festival. Yeah, up Just there. for Laughs Comedy Festival. Yeah. And you were the host MC for the festival? Uh, no, not for the festival. So the festival is huge. I mean, it has like tons and tons yeah. of events. I, did, I hosted a specific show called Midnight Surprise, which is a show that Neil Brennan started, uh, I think maybe five years ago, maybe less than that. And um, the, the idea is like the audience never knows what the lineup's going to be. Mm-hmm. So it's always a surprise. So it's fun for them because they get up there and then. You know, Louis C.K. might stop by or, or Kevin Hart might stop by. So it's just kind of a guessing game. And this night you stopped by. Well, I was the host, so I wasn't the surprise. Wait, so <laughs> now did, did people in the audience know that you were going to give a 10-minute stand-up routine? Well, yeah. I mean, so the, the surprise is just the lineup, not necessarily yeah. me. I'm the host. So I was there five nights. So they knew I was going to be there. 
I don't know if they knew I was going to do stand up or like <laughs> just like go up there and do like a Q and A or yeah. <laughs> whatever. But yeah. um, I, I'm sure some of them were pretty surprised. Who's your favorite teammate ever? <laughs> what size shoe do you wear? Sixteen. Um, if you want to find Blake's stand up routine, it's fairly easy to find. A quick Google search or a YouTube search, you can pull up a video somebody was nice enough to upload a, mm. the, the 10 minute video um warning it is uh not safe for work yep. there are some f-bombs in there mm-hmm. but i really enjoyed it i i think you did a good job and this was this was not your first time performing at a comedy club though no it wasn't this was my first time to really sit down and write like uh 10 minutes or whatever um and and you also had some help but like in the, in the past i did some stuff uh in la um, just kind of messing around, stuff that I kind of had to do, stuff that I already had written out, and um, this was like my first real go at stand-up comedy, so it was it was a little nerve-wracking. Describe the nerves, because for me, I mean, there's part of it is like you get nervous before you're maybe doing a, a public talk or yeah. before you're giving a Q and A in front of some fans, and you're always sort of a little guarded. I mean, this is like right. totally outside the box. I, I would assume it, it was it was nerve-wracking. It was one of the most nerve-wracking <laughs> things that I've ever done. It's it's weird because when you go speak in public, it's like, okay, you, you have to go speak, and you, you speak on whatever you know. So I would like, if I go speak on basketball, it's somewhat easy. But if you have to go and you, somebody says, okay, you have to be funny, like you have to make these yeah. people laugh, and these people are expecting you to make them laugh, then it's like a whole nother added pressure. You're up there by yourself and, you know, comedians in the back would always like, does basketball help you with this? I'm like, no, absolutely <laughs> it not. It doesn't translate. Not at all. I never have to speak when I play basketball. So it, it was it was really cool. And the reason I wanted to do it because I knew it was going to scare me to death and I knew it was going to be outside of my comfort zone and I knew if I did it, I would walk away thinking, you know, this was an awesome experience and I did as you're going through this this 10-minute routine, were there certain times where you would say a punchline or say a joke and be like, oh, man, they're really feeling it? And then other times where you're like, ooh, that fell. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. the, 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 Not that there were jokes that fell because it was all pretty good. But <laughs> Well, so the, the thing about that video that, that popped up, which w- wasn't supposed to be, somebody recorded that yeah. illegally, that was my first night. Okay. So that was the roughest night for me as oh, far wow. as timing and, and that. all that. But, yeah, there's definitely times where – I would say a joke and it would hit one night and then the next night it wouldn't hit as hard. Yeah. Um, and then by the third night, I was just up there. Like the third night, I actually only did 15 minutes because I was just, I was so comfortable that I was yeah. up there. Like just, I would feel something, I would say it or I would, it would just be off the top of my head. So it, yeah, it was, it is weird because like sometimes it's just like a crowd, like during a game, like sometimes the crowd's great and it gives you energy and sometimes you have to find it on your own. But it was, it was a lot of fun just to kind of, to, to maneuver through that, those differences. I'm no comedian, so I'm not going to sort of <laughs> recite any of your jokes. But there, there was this one sort of joke you had about, you know, athletes appearing dumb mm-hmm. when they give on-court interviews. Yeah. And, and the, the punchline essentially was, we've been running around for two hours and we don't have any oxygen to our brain. Right. And you've, you're asking us 30 seconds after we get off the court these really sometimes difficult questions. And we may appear unintelligent when, in fact, we just don't have oxygen. Yeah, I think it's just a very true statement. It's like you exercise for two straight hours and then somebody puts a microphone in your face 30 seconds after you're done. And now you have to answer questions about what you just did. And there, so a lot of times, you know how those post-game interviews go. Like in the second quarter, uh, you know, what happened there to, to really turn the game around for you? And you, you now you have to think back to the second quarter when you haven't had time to break down this game in your mind. A lot of times I'll go watch film of a game and I'll be like, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. You know, or, or I forgot about this. 
Um, so it's kind of an unfair time to ask athletes questions. Um, there's a thing in there that I said about like, did you not think it was a bad idea to ask somebody who spent their entire life lifting weights and, and cheating their way through school uh, <laughs> questions on live TV? Yeah. I don't know. It's just kind of like a, a thing that I've always thought. Like it's, it's a weird time to ask people questions. I said to Chelsea this morning that I, I couldn't agree with you more because I feel like I'm pretty good about articulating sort of the X's and O's of a game mm-hmm. or how a game changed. But when I rewatch myself on halftime interviews, I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, I, I do not <laughs> appear smart at all. I yeah. mean, it's I'm, a lot of times I'm processing literally the last play. I'm still right. processing the last play, whatever happened in the last 10 seconds. And they're asking me about something that happened, mm-hmm. you know, 45 minutes ago. I haven't even got back to the locker room to, to take a sip of water. I think this brings up a larger point. It's a, it's a point I want to talk to you about. You've been in L.A. your whole career, and so you're very familiar sort of being in a big market and, and sort of towing the line about media accessibility. Mm-hmm. And for an NBA player, I, I want to go through for the listeners sort of when the media has access. And sometimes it's it's they're not supposed to have access, but we have relationships. But on a typical game day, we, we see them in the morning mm-hmm. after shoot-around. Then we go shoot before on the court, and a lot of times some of them will be out on the court. Mm-hmm. And then in the locker room before, there's a designated time. Then at halftime, we're giving a sideline interview. Then right after the game, another sideline interview. Mm-hmm. And then in the locker room, there's another designated time. Then some guys go do a press conference. And then a lot of times, there's a few people that sort of hang out in the hallway, linger, that, yeah. Yeah, that linger in the hallway, that try to grab you. And then uh, there's also people that have your number that will maybe text <laughs> you after the game at like 1130 at night. To me, it's, it's when have we gone too far with accessibility? Right. I think, uh, I mean, a lot of times, even, even after that, I mean, it's even the next morning when you show up to practice, you have to do the media scrum and it's the same questions. So for an entire 24 hours, you could be asked the same questions about the same game or about an upcoming game or a previous game. I think my biggest thing is before the game, you know, like this is our job. This is like what we are here to do. A lot of people, like a lot is riding on our performance, right? So before the game, I don't think media should be in the locker room. They're not. They're always respectful and they're great. They do a good job about you know if, if guys don't really want to talk, they know that. But at the same time, like that, the locker room should be like a sacred place before a game. I guys agree. should be doing exactly what they want to do and not having to avoid this conversation or not talk about this. They should be able to be in the locker room freely. Well, the other thing too is they've already talked to us that day, whether it's right. a shoot around or, or you know, at a walkthrough or whatever. There's usually a, a media availability session in the morning. I'm actually terrible with the media in the locker room before <laughs> yeah, so a game. Right. Like most guys that cover us, so you know, Dan from mm-hmm. from Orange County or you know the local ESPN guys, they yeah. know that I don't speak to them before yeah. the game. But occasionally we'll get somebody in the locker room, you know, especially road arenas. Hey JJ, do you, do you have a few minutes to talk? And I'm yeah. literally, I'm just like, no, actually I don't. I've st- <laughs> I've st- you're in the middle. I'm in the middle of my pregame routine, yeah. and I'm, you know, it's literally to the minute. Please leave me alone. And of course, after the game, I give them as much time as they need. You have a unique situation as well because, and you and, and 14 other guys, because you guys have a teammate who is also badgering you to come on their podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we got media so, around 24 yeah. seven bus rides. Um, JJ's always asking me uh, questions. My phone's always, I've always got the record <laughs> button going on my phone on the bus. I, the plane. I see the, I see the red recording light. JJ, it's, it's on. No, it's not. What are you, what are you talking about? Oh, that's so hilarious. Oh man. We were talking about the pregame stuff. Um, I know that you and I both have a little bit of OCD when it comes to mm-hmm. that. I, th- I think for a lot of fans, they're always curious about 
what athletes do before the game and sort of their rituals. Take me through a typical game day for you up until, let's say, you know, the 35-minute mark when we meet as a team. Like full day? Yeah, I want to hear it. Uh, okay, so I, I normally work out in the morning at my house um, before I even go to shoot-around. So I'll wake up, eat, work out at the house, then I'll go to shoot-around. I see you back in the back doing the cold, hot tub <laughs> routine yeah. every game day. Uh, so I do that. Four minutes on, four minutes off of each. Uh, go out to the court, shoot free throws, then film starts. We do shoot around afterwards. I don't shoot after shoot around. I just go in, go home because I like to eat and get my nap in. And then I have to leave. <laughs> the thing about live, playing in LA is I have to leave to go to the game. <laughs> like an hour, I have to save an hour and fifteen minutes just in case traffic is really bad. So I'm out the door by like three fifteen to get there by four thirty. As soon as I'm there, I have this whole routine, like close up, food goes in the oven or the little toaster oven. I eat, I do all my pregame, like release stuff in the training room, go to the weight room, go out to the court to shoot, come back in, avoid the media, (laughs) get a snack, come back in, grab my stuff, avoid the media some more, go into the training room. By the way, hold on, let me interject real quick. Because I think they're going to make a change this year. I think they're doing some construction on our locker room at Staples Center. Oh, but that's right. for the Clippers, there's no place to avoid the media. Yeah. We don't have a player's lounge in our locker room. Except for the training room, which <laughs> might be the smallest training room in NBA. In the NBA. And it's also the only place with the TV. So it's right. like the only place to go. There'll be like 12 guys in a room that's like eight people max capacity. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm, and then I'm in the training room up until that 35-minute meeting on the clock before the game. Do you listen to tunes before the game? I do. I, I'm a. I'm not a big. I don't listen to stuff that gets me hyped. I okay. listen to stuff that's like somewhat mellow and somewhat keep me kind of even keeled. I don't want to have too much energy. <laughs> on my drive into the game, my my commute's a little bit shorter than yours, mm-hmm. but on my drive into the game, I listen to uh, like contemporary Christian rock. That's sort of my thing. <laughs> nice. Uh, nice. It just kind of calms me, <laughs> soothes me a little bit. But you and I, you're one of the few guys that I know in the NBA that has the same sort of taste in music. And I'm not talking about contemporary Christian rock either. Um, but you're big on sort of the alt-nation scene and, yeah. and, and alt-rock. And uh, give me some songs you've been listening to this well, summer. I listen to everything. But we listen to so much, as you know, we listen to so much rap all the time, yeah. hip-hop and rap, that like I like to mix it up and, and listen to stuff a little bit more mellow. This summer, I really like Beck's new Wow song. I just can't. I know it's like I don't know why. I'm just drawn to it, and I just can't turn it off. I listen to it over and over. There's a song called "Lost in the Light" by Bahamas that is fantastic. And then the Lumineers. I'm always a big Lumineers fan. Right now, it happens to be Ophelia. There's there's other songs that yeah. we've talked about yeah. um, that are really great. Lumineers are great. They're they're one of my favorite bands for sure right now. What's your favorite contemporary Christian <laughs> rock band? Dude, honestly, I mean, this is maybe super cliche, but no. Hillsong, man. Hillsong, oh, okay. they, they, they have great music. Great uh, shout out to Carl Lentz and Joel Houston. Uh, <laughs> Carl actually listens to the podcast. He may not listen to this one. but Friend, friend uh, of the program. He's a friend of the program. He's been begging me to come on the podcast. <laughs> I'm going to give you – here's a, my song right now that I'm obsessed with. Is It's called Rising Water. Uh, James Vincent McMorrow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's just a tremendous song. Really puts me in a good mood. doesn't necessarily get me amped to play. Um, one of the things you mentioned about being in L.A. and sort of your routine is the commute you have. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, immediately when you said that, I thought about my commute in Orlando for seven years. It was literally like eight minutes from yeah. my apartment. Every single game. 
every yeah. eight minutes from my apartment to the arena. And yeah. one year I actually lived downtown. If I wanted to, I could have rode my bike to the <laughs> arena. Uh, Glenn Davis actually did that one year to save some cash on, 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 on gas money. <laughs> Real money conscious Glenn was. You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. Blake, give me a minute to tell my listeners about Outdoor Voices. Outdoor Voices is the active wear apparel brand for the guy who believes he could definitely nail an NBA three. First try. For the guy who catches a foul ball without dropping his beer. For the guy whose last mile is faster than his first mile. And who every four summers convinces himself his Olympic dreams aren't quite extinguished just yet. It's the active wear apparel for the guy who's still got it. They've sourced the best technical fabrics in the world to produce streamlined gear that's built to last from the first sweat to the final whistle. Plus, it looks great without trying. It's called Technical Apparel for Recreation. Top-notch activewear made for everything from trotting the bases at beer league softball to pushing the last miles of your next half marathon. You already got free domestic shipping and returns, but we'll sweeten the deal. Go to OutdoorVoices.com JJ, and Outdoor Voices will give you 15% off your first purchase with the coupon code JJ. That's OutdoorVoices.com slash JJ and enter coupon code JJ at checkout for 15% off your new favorite high-quality activewear. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Blake Griffin. You've had a unique experience because you got drafted by the Clippers. Mm-hmm. And this has really been your only experience is playing in L.A. and yeah. playing in a big market. And because of that, you've been able to show off I, get, I don't want to say show off but you've been able to show and kind of express your personality a lot whether that's you know doing your comedy thing or or in commercials of course mm-hmm. you know your kia commercials are incredible is is being in la is that giving you an opportunity to show your personality or has being in la groomed your personality uh, i think it goes hand in hand a little bit you know i mean, I, I always just talk about the first time i ever did a commercial it was terrifying and i was so like bad i just like they kept doing the thing where they're like okay yeah that was great um this time just like try to have fun with it you know like just try to enjoy yourself and i'm like i'm trying this is me having fun um so it's like a little bit like one of those things you kind of have to do it but it's also like i've always loved funny things and i've always loved comedy so like whenever you know, I was approached about doing a commercial or an endorsement deal. It was like, okay, but I want to do it this way. And if yes, then cool, let's do it. If not, then like, you know, I'm probably not going to do it. So it was kind of one of those things hand in hand. Like that's part of my personality is just, I want to do stuff like that. And then LA kind of gives you the, the ability. When you were drafted by LA and obviously you, no one can sort of predict mm-hmm. the success you had as a player, but when you were drafted by LA it, did you think to yourself, oh, man, I want to pursue these things? Like, was that no, something no. that you even had in your mind? Because this is from the outside, of course. I didn't know you back then. I've known right. you for a little over three years now. But you didn't seem like you were L.A. maybe when you were drafted. Like, it, no. it, it seemed like it maybe brought it out a little bit more. Yeah, I think, and part of it's being, you know, most of us get drafted when we're, you know, still teenagers. <laughs> right. um, so some of it's kind of finding yourself. Uh, I think some of it is like being around this environment but i don't know i mean when i first got drafted i never i didn't even know i'd been to la one time 
I didn't know in what, your life in my life. I I didn't know what was it that was for about. the Wooden Award. Yeah, that's <laughs> for the Wooden Award. <laughs> no, actually, I'm sorry. Twice. So once was for the Wooden Award, and once we played USC in okay. college, my freshman year. Which okay. you know how those trips go. Yeah. You never. I didn't so you had you didn't LA even was. really get to experience LA that time. No so maybe a little clue. bit of Wooden Award. Did you go out when you came out for the Wooden Award? No, I okay. flew in, went to the Wooden Award, went back to the hotel, flew back to Oklahoma. So. <laughs> Like I had no clue what LA was about. I mean, you hear the stories. Like Holly, I had, I had no idea, no clue what I was kind of. I didn't the big market thing. Didn't even really like my whole dream was just to play in the NBA. Sure. Like so, getting there, like that's amazing. It wasn't about big market, small market. I just wanted to play. I know when I got drafted, I thought Orlando was a big market. <laughs> where I was coming from, I was like Orlando, huge city. Let's do it. Jeez, Florida, <laughs> love it. What's What's your favorite commercial you've ever done? Man, that's a really good question. Because you, I, the Kia, the Kia commercials are probably what you're most famous for, right? I don't. I. I mean, I, I guess so. Yes. I don't really know. Yes. I don't really know. I'm gonna answer I, my own um, question. I, yeah, sure. I think my favorite. Uh, those were those were a lot of fun, but it's different. You know, when you when you do like a lower, uh, like the Kia ones are, are such a big production that it's yeah. like there's a lot of moving parts. I, I think I, I did a commercial for GameFly a while back. This is a great commercial. <laughs> it was like it was one of those things where. Like I said earlier, like I want to do something funny. Can I do that? Yes. And then you go from there, and it's like let's make this as crazy as possible. So I'm wearing like this jetpack, flying around this uh, like fake living room, <laughs> crashing into like tables. It was the most fun I've ever had, just because you know I would crash into a wall, and then like people would come and like remake the thing and put all the, yeah. the little <laughs> ornaments back on the shelf. It was just it was a lot of fun. I'm hoping I can pull that up later on YouTube. I'm sure it's on there somewhere. <laughs> Probably is. I think my favorite Kia commercial, you've had a ton of them, but I got my favorite one was when you were the Roman conqueror uh, riding oh, the chariot, yeah. Oh, yeah. which was a Kia, and you were peeking through the sunroof. That was yeah. great. I love that one because it was like the first time you get to kind of play something else, not necessarily yourself. I, I am myself, obviously, in that, but you know, it was cool because I got to dress up, which I used to do all the time when I was a kid. <laughs> Uh, for those of you who don't know, a bit of a weirdo. <laughs> you, you've told me this story before, and I don't know if you've talked about it publicly, but um, take the listeners through sort of the process of getting that Kia sponsorship. Because a lot of it had to do with superstition, and it started, I think, uh, at the All-Star break, right? Yeah, so I was going to do a dunk contest. Yeah. I wanted to jump over a car. Like, convertible is kind of the obvious, easier choice, a little lower and a little easier to jump over. But, you know, Kia is the NBA sponsor, a main NBA sponsor. So we had to do Optima. So we did that. Can't really clear the whole thing because it's a pretty big car. Um, <laughs> it's a mid-sized sedan. Uh, so, With great interior features. Yeah. So then we did that t- IIHS top safety rating. Um, JD Power and Associates. Sorry. So then had to be a Kia. So we did the whole dunk. It was cool. It was great. And then... Um, you know, kind of developed a relationship with Kia. Um, and they were like, Hey, well, like, let's, you know, talk about a future, talk about doing something together. And I guess around that time, like Kia had a decent spike in sales. So I don't know if it was like a superstitious thing for them. Like they thought maybe (laughs) the dunk contest had something to do with it, which it probably didn't. Um, but I was like, all right, well, can we make some funny commercials? And they're like, yeah, so we did it. So it might have been J.D. Power ranking it as a top-rated safety <laughs> sedan, or it might have been the NBA dunk contest. You never Blake know. Griffin. We'll never know. <laughs> we'll never know. <laughs> have you ever thought about uh, how your career, and mostly your, your off-the-court career, would be different 
if you had gotten drafted by, let's say, a, a smaller Midwestern town and played in the, the Central Conference? Yeah, I mean, it'd probably be a lot different, but I don't, you know, I don't look at that as a good thing or a bad thing. It's just, you know, this is the situation I'm in and this is the things I like to do. And, and I've done, I just do the things I like to do. Um, and I wouldn't really describe myself as like a, I mean, you see like commercials and stuff, but I wouldn't describe myself as a Hollywood or a LA person. Yeah, It's just like, this is where we play. This is where I live. And this is what I like to do. I'm glad you brought that up because <laughs> I think that's an important point to make. I've been around Blake for three years now, and I'm going to be honest with you. I think maybe I had a little bit of perception when I came here <laughs> that you were Let's like- Let's hear what your perception was. <laughs> no, that you were like this Hollywood guy. It's like, you're, you know, there's like this certain type of person that's like, oh man, that guy's so LA. You know, yeah. that guy's so Hollywood. Yeah. And um, and I think you feel that sometimes from guys you play against, right? I think you feel that. Probably. It, yeah. it couldn't be further from the truth though. And I, I was- immediately struck by uh the way that you work mm. and um there was a question for later in the conversation but we'll just talk about it now because right. you're one of the hardest working guys i've ever been around oh, and you, uh and i'm curious where that comes from if that comes from your older brother being around your older mm. brother if it comes from something your parents did is it something you always had or is it something you learned your rookie year sitting out that year like where does that work ethic come from uh, I think it comes from my family both my brother and my parents like my parents have always said are two of the hardest working people I know my dad I used to watch him you know get up at 7 a.m and taught and coached in high school which is a kind of a thankless job you know so he would be gone from all day teaching coaching come home or he had a second job my parents had a a small trophy company that we ran out of the back of our house. So I'd watch him come home at eight o'clock at night, eat dinner really quick, and then work until two o'clock in the morning every single day for, you know, most of my childhood just to provide for my brother and I and, and our family. My mom was the same way, tireless work ethic. My brother, exact same way. I watched him when he started getting recruited. I watched him get serious about basketball. He would go to the gym and spend four hours in there. And I just thought that's what I was supposed to do. Right. I had no other choice. So um, a lot of that I, I credit to my family. And then, you know, part of that is just where I come from. Like, I think Midwest is just kind of a hardworking, it's just a hardworking type of people. Um, and, and, you know, I, I kept that with me because that's what's gotten me to where I am today. And that's something that I'll never change. I don't want to, I don't want everyone to stop working and, and try to be a hard worker. Some of that, though, is a little bit OCD, though. Y yeah, you are. Sure. I, mean, I mean, we've talked about this before. Like, you, you go two or three days without working out and there's something that is literally not right with you right yeah, feels, you feel it yeah it feels bad and Part so you've you've sort of encompassed this work ethic and and i've witnessed this for three years so i can speak to it but you've sort of encompassed this work ethic into literally every aspect of your life whether it's nutrition weight room mm -hmm. court work whatever it may be yeah i mean it's that's our job right like <laughs> yeah. it's you no, know but, and... but not every guy approaches it that way right Right. But I think it's like if you're going to do something, you might as well do it 100% like all in. That's kind of how I've always been. And part of it's OCD and part of it's like perfectionism. You know, you mm -hmm. see it in, in, in certain guys. I, I see it in, in yourself as well. It's like you want to be the best. Like we want, I, I want to be the best basketball player. I want to win championships. I know you're, you're on the same level of thinking. So like why would you not do everything that you can to accomplish those things? And that's that's what I think is so frustrating when you when you don't have success, you know, in the in the NBA, you, you the media and, and just now with Twitter, all these talking heads have, a, have all these voices and yeah. they say that you know you're not this, you're not that, and sometimes I'm like, man, it would just it would be way easier if I didn't care at all. 
if I didn't work hard, <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't care. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you put everything you have into this game and you want to win so bad and you, you, tr you make all these sacrifices and you don't and you get killed for it and you're like, what am I doing this for? But then you're right back in there the next <laughs> yeah. day doing the same thing. So. so for you then it's perfectionism. How did you, I guess the question is, how did you develop that personal standard? Because it seems like you have a standard, like this is, this is my standard, mm -hmm. right? And right. listen, I say this all the time on podcasts. I have a standard. I don't fucking always reach it. Like I screw right. up sometimes. Yeah, yeah, like sure. we all screw up sometimes. But for like, sure. how, when did you get to the point where like this is okay? This is my standard. This is what I'm going to do on a daily basis. You know what? I think I just kind of developed it over time. Like when I, I've, I've always wanted to be like the hardest working person, mm -hmm. right? Because I know that like if I'm outworking people, I may not be as physically talented or or be as as strong or whatever. But you know, if you, if you work, you can kind of get there. So. I don't know. I just developed it over time and, and, and you, you tweak things and you do things that work for you. You figure out what doesn't work for you. It's just kind of an ever evolving process. Like even this summer, I'm doing things that I haven't done in past summers that I think will help. You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. Blake, I have to tell my listeners about SeatGeek. As a lot of you may know, buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or show you want to go to, and none of those older ticket sites want to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come along and created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. SeatGeek is always the first place I go to to look for tickets to a game or concert. I had the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I just used it the other day to look for tickets to see the Dodgers. Everything about SeatGeek is designed to make life easier for sports and music fans. SeatGeek does all the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring that you get the best possible deal. SeatGeek does all the work and you save time and money. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Best of all, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, Go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Enter promo code JJ. SeatGeek will then send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code JJ today. And now a word from Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century. Fast, powerful, and completely online, Rocket Mortgage has taken all the complicated, time-consuming parts of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. Hate searching through stacks of old files and paperwork? With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button, helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your unique financial situation. Even better, with Rocket Mortgage, you can do all of this on your phone or tablet. It's a quick online process that you can manage from the convenience of your couch. So if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com JJ. Equal housing lender, license in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. This was, uh, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but this was probably a frustrating season for you. You know, you got off to a fairly normal start. You know, you were playing great basketball, and then you had your quad injury, and then your, your hand injury, mm -hmm. and the quad injury lingered and lingered and lingered, and you never got back to 100%. And then, of course, you re-injured the quad in game four against the Blazers. So, so as the season ended this year and you assessed what you wanted to do this summer, what was sort of the specific goals you had in mind to get back on the court and to get back to maybe even get better, mm -hmm. I guess? 
Well, my biggest thing, obviously, was health. You know, getting my my knee ready to go and and making sure that I felt good. So that was my biggest. I didn't take any time off this summer. I took a week off after I had surgery and then started rehab a week after that, and I've been going all the way through. I actually just got back from vacation, so I took a week off there. So basically two weeks this whole summer, and I kind of had it in my mind like I'm just gonna go all the way through. Like I don't, I didn't in my mind I don't didn't deserve a, a summer break. You know, <laughs> no Vegas trips this summer. We <laughs> uh, canceled that. That was the first thing. Uh, so it was just kind of like I, I changed it up, and and it's hard to assess this season because, like you said, I, I felt like I was I had a pretty normal start, and then I started dealing with the quad stuff early December, and then it affected the way I started playing, and I started not playing as well. Just thinking about it, then it actually got hurt to where I had to sit out, and then like you said, it was just an impossible thing of getting healthy during the season with that. So it was just a weird season. It was a weird season, and I talked with Doc after the season you know, my exit interview and, and he kind of asked me about our team and I said, listen, it's, it's hard for me to assess our team because we didn't have Blake. Like we really didn't have Blake. You're, you're such an important part. And so it's like, it's, it's almost like last year to me was a little bit of a wash. And you talk about my first year here, you know, when we lost to OKC, mm-hmm. uh, we had a chance to beat them and get to the conference finals. <clears throat> we, we, Two years ago, we were up three-one against Houston. Yep. We, we've talked about that ad nauseum. We're not going to bring that up again. But you know, we had a chance to get to the conference finals. So, so what is it? What do you think it takes? What do you what do you think it's going to take for this group to get over that hump? Uh, I think it takes. I mean, like Doc always says, it takes a little bit of luck. Yeah. You know, you have to be healthy. You have to. Guys have to be not just healthy, like to where they can play or not, but like healthy to play at a hundred percent. Or close to 100% because I don't think anybody's playing at 100% in the playoffs. But um, I think that's what it takes. I think, you know, getting over the hump for us is like we've been there. Like you just talked about, we've been so, so close. And it's just, I don't know, follow, like just following through on it. I think, I mean, you, you, we can talk X's and O's and you can yeah. talk, you know, players. and Is it between the years? Is it between the years? Is it, I think a is lot it more of it mental is. at this point? I think a lot of it is once you start hearing things over and over, it, it it starts to like get in your head a little bit, but not to the point where you know you, you know you can do it. It's not like a thing where you, you doubt yourself. Right. Um, it's not. I, I think what you're saying is it's not necessarily because someone on Twitter said you're a failure. That's not. Right, that's no, not no, in your head. I think yeah. what it is is the the experience of failing can weigh on you a little bit. Like for me, it's the experience of what happened against Houston against OKC that. Mm-hmm. That weighs on me. The lost chances, the what ifs, mm-hmm. those are what weigh on you. Absolutely, those are the things that you—they're you, always in the back of your mind. Yeah. It's—it's it's hard to shake those type of things, because like like we said, you care about this, and this is you're fully invested in this. I think part of it too is just—is it's just like having that team where you just go out and you just do it, and you and you're just like mentally between the ears. I think it's just like no matter what the series is that no matter how much you're down by like you just have to keep playing and doc talks to us about it all the time you're never out of a game sometimes you ride that emotional roller coaster and it's great when things are going well but then when things aren't going well you have to still stay at this very even level and that's a tough thing to do in in the moment of sports the two things doc always says that sort of are always in the back of my mind are get past mad Mm -hmm. and clutter free yeah and I truly believe, like, talent-wise, team composition-wise, like, we've had enough 
to get it done. Mm-hmm. And for us to get over that, it's it really is not an X and O thing. It's not how are we going to guard Golden State splits or who's going to match up against who against San Antonio. Like to me, it's not as much that as it is getting past Mad and for our group to learn how to play clutter free. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, it's not an easy thing, and it is. It is. It's not an easy thing. And getting past Mad is is like a lot of things, right? It's like personal frustration. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's frustration with the refs, frustration <laughs> with a lot of things, which you know we all have. Have our own things, some more than we've others. led the league in technicals for seventeen straight years. Actually, last year I didn't have that many technicals. If you think about really? it, yeah. <laughs> about half the technicals. Yeah, I normally yeah, have. That's true. Um, but yeah, it's it's like it's just one of those things. Bringing it all together, and you know, I know every team says this at the beginning of the year, but like this year, I think our team, not even really being around each other yet. Um, but I think our team is built for that run and built for that that type of success. So I'm excited. I just got an email from Lori the other day from payroll. She oh, was yeah. like, "Hey, uh, just so you know, we're taking out your technical fines on your next paycheck." <laughs> yeah, they don't even email me about that anymore. <laughs> like, they just take it. it out the beginning of the year, and I, th- I get it back if I happen <laughs> not to hit that mark. <laughs> Donald Foy and I had a whole podcast on. Um, on the finances and athletes and stuff. And, and one thing people may not know is technical fines. We can actually write those off. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah. We can write those off. Yeah. Those are like a, yeah, a, like, a like a business expense. <laughs> <laughs> Being an asshole is a business expense. <laughs> uh, sorry, guys. I'm a huge a-hole. I, I'm going to have to write this one off. <laughs> uh, I always like to ask guys about their post-career stuff and kind of what uh, – you know, they envision for, for post-career. And, and I know, you know, having been in L.A. and the opportunities it's afforded to you, but you're pursuing something right now in terms of uh, production and, and mm-hmm. writing and comedy. And, and just talk a little bit about that uh, experience and, and where you hope to go with that. Yeah, I think it's something that I kind of fell into. Uh, it kind of goes back to the – did L.A. have an effect on this or, or is this something I always wanted to do? It's something that I always had an interest in, but I, I, I guess I didn't really – being from Oklahoma, you never really think you're going to be in the position to like – uh, be in this this world, I guess, the entertainment world a little bit. So um, it was it started with just commercials and, and doing my first ones and feeling more comfortable and then being able to like have a little more creative control and then start producing stuff and then actually helping write stuff. Um, so I've had like, I've had a lot of friends, you know, who, who have helped me kind of in that world too. Neil Brennan, a, a guy, he co-created The Chappelle Show, really funny comedian, really great writer. He, he's kind of been somewhat of a, a mentor for me. You know, back in the day, he's always sending me stuff like, hey, read this, punch this up, give me something for this. And, and that was kind of like my first taste at it. Um, and so now just kind of getting into that that whole new world and, and um, trying to start now because, you know, I, I've always seen a lot of guys maybe start a little bit too late. Um, so if you start now and, and, and the reason I wanted to start now is I want to learn. You know, I have a lot to learn yeah. um, when I'm done playing basketball. You know, guys have to have something to do, and, and I have to learn the ins and the outs. I don't want to just step in and, and act like I know things or think like I know uh, what I'm doing. I think the biggest thing that you can know about something you're going to pursue is that you don't know anything. And, then, like, once you accept that and once you, you realize that you have a lot to learn and actually go about doing it, you'll surprise people by – your interest and and how much you actually take this seriously. I think that's a great approach to have. It's it's funny you say that because I don't think a lot of people are comfortable admitting that. 
like mm-hmm. admitting like okay i've got to start at the bottom i've i've right. got a i don't really have a great foundation of knowledge here but mm-hmm. i've got a passion about something so i'm going to pursue it and i'm going to ask questions and i'm going to be okay failing or i'm going to be okay learning from someone yeah. um besides neil who else in the comedy world has has been either a mentor or a friend for you i mean there's there's been several different people a, a close friend of mine Ben Schwartz is one of the funniest people I know. I mean, he's a great writer. Um, improv is just like he's kind of next level at that type of stuff. So just really being around different people like that, I don't want to start name dropping people. Let me, let me pick that up. I just picked up Ben's name off the ground for you. Uh, no, just... You guys know a guy by the name of uh, Chris Rock. Uh, good for it now. Um, no, it's, here, I guess here's a question that I, I don't want you to name drop because you know that I'm not I'm not trying to put you in a tough situation. But the being in LA, I think, is is certainly a factor in this. But mm-hmm. when you develop these relationships, is it you reaching out to them or is it them reaching out to you? Um, a little bit of both. It kind of depends on on what it is and and who it is. I mean, sometimes you you know in LA you'll meet somebody at a, some event you go to like a charity event and then you'll just hit it off or maybe it's Twitter. You know, Twitter connects a lot of people now. Yeah. For me, I think in the comedy world it's more so me reaching out to them, just being a fan. And it's weird cuz I'll I'll like I go to like Just for Laughs and like it's like a comedian who maybe really nobody knows, but I've like watched them for like 6 years. You know, <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh man, that's that's this guy right there. Like, oh, that's so awesome. And, and like, my brother was with me, and he's like, who? I'm like, oh, don't worry about it. It's just a comedian. I've actually, I've, I've cold tweeted, I guess you'd call it, cold, cold tweeted people to come on this podcast before. Yeah. Do you know Hannibal Burris? I do. Do you? I do. I really want him to come on this podcast. Will you reach out for me? Yeah, I'll see what we can do. Okay, I appreciate that, man. <laughs> All right, let's get to, to, to this week's four on four. In honor of your love of comedy, mm. this week's four on four, I'm not going to participate in this because uh, I don't really know what I'm talking about, but Blake is going to give us his four favorite stand-up specials. Okay, four favorite stand-up specials. Uh, no particular order. No particular, no particular order. order. All right. Um, so a guy that is very popular right now, probably the best out right now, um, Louis C.K. I think uh, a lot of people might say Shameless was one of his best specials, um, but I personally go with Live at the Beacon Theater, um, just because it was huge for him and that like he was one of the first like big comedians to kind of bypass like the traditional distribution channels and he sold live at the beacon theater on his website for five dollars and it killed and i mean i think most people in, i mean everybody in comedy knows louis but a lot of people know louis now and and, yeah. and like i mean it, it, his comedy is just kind of next level um so that's one for me i think it's hard just picking four but most influential for me like chris rock bigger blacker good friend yeah, good friend <laughs> real good friend had dinner with him um i mean he there's like a lot of, again a lot to pick from from him but um that's one that i remember like listening to as a kid and having like the snippets like downloaded on my computer and and like the like you know having to rename them so my mom wouldn't find them and delete them because <laughs> they're just filled with <laughs> not safe for for work uh words I'll probably have to go with, oh, man. I guess I'll go with um, Eddie Murphy, Delirious. Mm. That was another That would be on a, a lot of people's top four. Yeah, I, I think like. that's one yeah. of the best comedy specials of all time. I mean, he just kind of like had like a, 
a, he was just a phenom. He's like one of those guys that like he started doing stand up when he was a teenager, and then like on Saturday Night Live by nineteen, and then yeah. just like crush. You know, just he was just meant for this, yeah. and he makes it look so easy. I think that's why. Um, that's so good. I think I'll probably have to go with last two. It's either George Carlin or Richard Pryor. I'd probably say George Carlin, I guess. Carlin at Carnegie. Um, he had like a lot of, and, and this is another guy who I never really got to experience like while he was doing it. But like now, like looking back, you have so much appreciation for what he was doing and just the way he went about it. Um, it's probably my my fourth one right there. Okay. I wish I had four more, but. Who in today's world in terms of like young comedians mm-hmm. do you really like and enjoy either either on television if they're you know have their own show or or stand up um, like well known or not not they so could be well known like i yeah, think I aziz think, is funny i, I aziz mean aziz is great yeah i think, I think he's uh, funny bill burr is like one of my favorite comedians right now he's like he has a, a podcast Called the Monday Morning Podcast. Yeah, I don't I, want to plug other people's podcasts. Oh, dude, that's, podcast, but, we we just we just plug uh, podcasts. That's all we do on this podcast. <laughs> um, Bill Burr's great. Hannibal is amazing. I mean, there's I could go on. Mike Berbiglia is is one of my favorite comedians. You can go on and on. That's one of the cool things about going to Just for Laughs is there's a, a new faces show every night, and it's just like people who you might not have heard of, but that are so so funny, and probably people that'll be huge in yeah. you know five ten years. I mean, comedy's weird. Sometimes it takes a while for people to find their voices, and guys you know go up and they bomb in front of tons of audiences, and then all of a sudden it just they find their rhythm. It's a fun fun thing to kind of be a not a part of, but to watch and follow. Did you see Hannibal Buress's Netflix special? Yeah, I've seen all. Which one? <clears throat> I don't know. There's there's one that's in there. My brother texted me, and so, a couple of people have said this to me on Twitter, but there's some special that he said that J.J. Reddick seems like a white guy I'd want to hang out with. <laughs> yeah. Did he say that? Yeah, he has said that. I don't know if I saw that on an, a special <laughs> or like a on on like – youtube or something but i've seen yes you can vouch for me right uh, to hannibal that i'm a cool white guy <laughs> oh yeah i'll I'll, t- I'll text him right. uh name drop uh, <laughs> there's another comedian that was talking to me kind of a, a like a not i guess not as well-known guy but he was like he was talking about how he's a big watch guy and he's oh, like okay. yeah no like jj's big watch guy he was like telling me all this stuff about yeah. you that i was like yeah no i know i, yeah. I see him every day <laughs> yeah. but he's like man like so i like to think like me and jj would be cool and i was like i'm actually timing this podcast with my rolex daytona chronograph right now bam <laughs> bam, bam. hear bam. that rolex you hear that no i've dropped rolex on here so many times the, the, the chances of a sponsorship are very small they're very small yeah, you never know Keep uh all right blake well i appreciate the time man um yeah, this has been this has been awesome and uh look forward to getting back on the court with you bud yeah man thanks for having me Thank you for listening to this episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. I'd like to thank today's guest, my teammate, Blake Griffin. Remember to subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes wherever you listen to the podcast. And please tweet me at JJ Reddick for any questions and comments. I'd also like to thank our sponsors, Outdoor Voices and SeatGeek. Be sure to support them the way they support us here at the Vertical Podcast. I'll catch you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice.